And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Very excited to be joined today by founder and chairman of Zilker Media with Mr. Rusty Shelton. We're going to be talking today about influencer marketing and creating visibility, um, something that I do a little bit of every day. I post on LinkedIn every, in every day as an influencer. If you don't follow me, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, but I think Rusty's going to teach us a few things today about that, so I'm excited to learn more. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has a platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. Rusty, welcome to the show, man. What's up, Matt? Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so tell me, I guess, first a little bit about Zilker Media, your founder and chairman of, of Zilker Media. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So this is actually our, our second agency. And uh, first agency, just to, to give a little bit more background, uh, was called Shelton Interactive. That was my first ever uh, startup. And it was really focused in the book space. So it was a full service agency. We were focused on helping authors and publishers launch best-selling books that reached as many people as possible. And so that business super niche went really well. We had you know, 35 New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestsellers. We were fortunate enough to, uh, to get a strategic uh, buyer that came in and acquired us in 2016, Forbes Books, who I'm fortunate enough to still work with today. Um, we jumped out about a year later and started Zilker Media. And the idea behind it, Matt, was let's take everything we learned from helping authors launch successful books and let's actually apply it to a group that, that we felt like needed thought leadership more, which were uh, startup founders, CEOs, leaders who were running businesses. Could be a bank, could be a law firm, could be a SaaS business. And, and kind of the idea around it was if you are a leader that is positioned uh, not as an operator with something to sell, but as a thought leader with something to teach, you're going to go further, quicker and build trust in a different way. Well, and, and these days, especially with the likes of TikTok and other short video, it's like more than ever, the executives of a company, the founders are are the brand, like your face is the brand, right? And I, I think I've seen Gary Vee say that before in his videos, but it's like your face is the brand for a lot of companies, a lot of small companies. Well, it, it should be. And it always concerns me, Matt, when I see, you know, you've got a startup founder with a handful of employees and the brand is entirely, you know, it's a generic corporate logo where it's a, it's a company name that nobody's heard of before. And we got two big challenges today with doing what most entrepreneurs are kind of conditioned to do, which is to lead with the logo, to lead with the corporate brand. Make the logo bigger. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the Gallup put out a study last summer that said uh, trust in institutions and businesses is at an all time low, right? your audience has never been more skeptical of of your corporate brand. And so when you lead with that, it takes more money, more time, 
And it's a really difficult way to build trust. The second challenge that startup founders have, Matt, is most of us are, are competing against corporate brands that have been around decades and decades longer, much bigger. And if you're going logo versus logo, that's not a fight you're going to win very often. And so kind of this idea of, of leading, again, as a mission-driven thought leader with something to teach is entrepreneurs who do that can punch above their weight class in terms of, of both visibility and trust. Well, more often than not, when you buy something, trust is a huge part of the buying process, right? Do I trust this person to do, to do this job? It comes back to what people always say of, you know, you don't get fired for buying IBM or Cisco and all these things, right? Because there might be a, a smaller little product or company that comes by, but nobody wants to get fired because they took the risk on hiring this little vendor to save right. 5% or whatever, right? So, you know, tr trust is really important. And, you know, especially when you're a, a small startup, you know, doing a lot of uh, blogging, publishing on LinkedIn, short videos, all these things help you build trust with people and um, get, getting your face out there. And, and, I, and I love that. And so is that the topic of your of your book? It is. So the new book's called The Authority Advantage, Building Thought Leadership Focused on Impact, Not Ego. And so I think that subtitle for me, Matt, became a really important part of the discussion. So for a lot of leaders, when I think of high performing servant leaders, for most of them, the thing that prevents them from building thought leadership or, or building a brand is, is that three letter word, uh, which is the enemy for most of us, with, which is ego, right? For most of us, when we hear the phrase personal brand or thought leadership, it, you know, we throw up a little bit in our mouth. It, it, it's, it, our minds immediately are going typically to people that are building ego-driven, hey, look at me kind of brands. And, and there's certainly plenty of people that are doing that. And so to be clear for your audience, when, when I'm encouraging them to get a bit more visible, to teach, to give value, the idea is not for you to be the message, it's for you to be the messenger. So, so in other words, if you've got a message to get out, it's going to go further, quicker, cheaper if you are the messenger versus your corporate brand. And, and so I think for a lot of leaders, part of the reason for us around the new book is uh, many of them have a mistaken impression that if they get visible, people are going to think it's an ego stroke uh, when really it's all about making an impact at a bit more scale. Well, and I have some friends on Facebook that post content, I don't want to say every day, but definitely every week about their businesses. And honestly, I'm not a potential customer uh, of, of them. But you know what? If I ever run across somebody who could use their services, they're top of mind. I think of them all the time. I, I see them post about their businesses on Facebook and, and other social media. And um, social media is super powerful and it's it's creating that brand amongst people um, that I think, you know, social selling is, is huge these mm -hmm. days. It, it definitely is. And, and, and again, I think for a lot of founders, for a lot of leaders, they, they sort of generally know there's value in building thought leadership. They, they, they kind of appreciate that. But for a lot of them, you know, practically, they don't know how to go about doing it and, and sort of the step-by-step -step approach with that. And so we can talk about that if, if that's helpful today, Matt. But I think for, for a lot of founders, it's number one, kind of shifting the mindset from, hey, if I get out and get a bit more visible and teach, this is really about impact more than ego. Uh, but for a lot of those founders, part of the way I want them to think about it is it, their business is the interstate, right? We want as many of the right talent, the right clients, the right partners as we can get on that interstate. And, and, and visible founders, visible leaders are, are on-ramps. They're the best on-ramp 
back to that interstate. And so that's really for uh, a lot of your listeners. Part of the way I want them to think about it, it's not in, it's not you instead of your business. It's you as an on-ramp to the business. Well, I think a lot of us have some form of imposter syndrome there too, right? Where we don't feel comfortable being on video. We don't, we're, we're nervous about, is it going to come across? Well, you know, I see all these TikTok videos and the first thing I think of is like, well, I'm not going to go dance on on videos. So that's I, how would I do this? Like, sure. where, you know, I, I think we easily talk ourselves out of different kinds of influence or marketing. Right. So I would love to have, you know, hear your tips about, about that for people. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I hear this from some of the best leaders it is imposter syndrome is, is almost more present there. And I think what I've found for a lot of leaders, the thing that can get them over that hump is focusing entirely in on giving value on teaching. So the impact side of this, again, if you go into it with a mindset of, hey, I'm promoting my business, number one, people are going to be less interested in that message. But number two, it's going to be really difficult for you to get excited about that. If instead you're going in and, and you're, you're giving value, you're teaching, you're, you're focused in on something that, hey, whether you ever take another step with me and my business or not, I'm going to leave you better off as a result of having listened to this interview or, or read this blog, what I found is that gives leaders oftentimes the permission to, to, to step out there. And, you know, back to Gary V for a second, who's also one of my favorites. One of the things that I love about kind of his message around this is for people to really worry less, especially early on about the number of likes, the number of views, and, and really worry a bit more about, okay, Am I giving value here? If a potential team member or a potential customer Googles my name and this is the one thing that comes up alongside my LinkedIn profile, well, if you're approaching it the right way, you're going to create an image, again, of, of, of a thought leader with something to teach rather than an operator with something to sell. And so, Matt, you know, in my experience, it's just been if, if you can focus a little more on, on impact and less on promotion, you're going to go further quicker and kind of get over that imposter syndrome. And, and I 100% agree. And, you know, every industry is completely different, right? But so I work in home services and I, I think of like a plumber or something, right? And if I just seen content or videos about a plumber that just is every time like, hey, if you have a plumbing problem, call me. Like, it's not interesting. Like, why would I engage with this? But if they were cool videos or stories about wild plumbing problems that they solved, it would be interesting. I would read it. Like, I would want to, I want to see the story. I want to read the story, right? It's fascinating. Um, and, and so it's all about how you tell those stories, I think. And, and I think, um, you know, a lot of people that do this kind of stuff always refer back to stories. People love stories, right? They, they absolutely love stories. And, and to stick with the plumber example, which I think is a really good one. If, if you go to most cities in the United States and you look at plumbing companies and the way that they're marketing, almost everybody is leading entirely with the logo. It's a corporate brand. It's a generic stock photo. It's, um, you know, it, it's kind of the most commoditized thing you could expect to see from a plumbing company. So everybody looks the same. I'm shopping them on price. I'm shopping them on location. If one of those plumbers that I'm looking for, I, I Google their name and I get to the website and I see, oh my gosh, they, they, they wrote the book on this. They're, they've won best places to work. They've been featured regularly in the media. Well, there's a different image that's created in my mind there. And it goes more to somebody that, that I'm looking at less as, an operator trying to sell me again, where, where my guard is up and I'm leaning in just hoping to be able to get an appointment with these guys based on the credibility that they've built. So I think part of what I want to encourage your listeners to think about is 
potential customers, potential team members, potential partners are sizing you up from afar, whether you like it or not, right? Whether you like the phrase personal branding or thought leadership or not, there's an image being created for you before you have a chance to deal with somebody directly. And so number one, don't you want to own it? And I'd love to talk a little more about that. But number two, don't you want to be really intentional about creating that image? Again, not, not of the company with something to sell, but of the thought leader with something to teach. Well, I think that's, that's the other thing is if you're building your personal brand, that personal brand is a long-term investment too, right? And, you know, you always see these things. It's like, what would, what would my future self five years from now wish I was doing today? And like building your personal brand would probably be on that list because it will help you do who knows whatever you want to do in the future, right? And that's one of the ways or one of the reasons I do it is like, I never know what I'm going to do in the future. You know, whether it's recruiting people, potential business partners, potential customers, whatever it is, right? But you build that personal brand, hoping that in the future, it will be valuable to you. I think that's such a good point. You mentioned, you know, you've started four different companies. Who knows where you'll be in the future, but that brand goes with you wherever you go. And I think for for a lot of your listeners, part of what I would want them to think about sort of before we get to the fun stuff of, hey, what should my content strategy be? Or how do I go out and get good visibility? The starting point for me around this, Matt, is is do you have a name? Do you have a brand name that you can own search for? Okay, so so online brand audit here to, to think about. David Meerman Scott, who's one of my favorite PR marketing authors, was kind enough to write the foreword for our new book. And he's one of my favorite examples of this. So his name's David Scott, right? And what he recognized really early in his career was uh, his name's kind of like a piece of digital real estate. And if your name's David Scott or John Smith or something really general, or if you have a really unique name and you're unlucky enough to share it with an Olympian or an Michael Bolton in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> you're, you're not going to own search around that no. name. That's a crowded piece of real estate. And so what David did is he added his middle name, right? David Meerman Scott. And when he did that, he walked across the street to a piece of real estate that was completely empty and immediately he owned search. So people listening to this, part of what I want them to think about for your audience, number one, do you have a name that you can own search for? And if the answer to that is no, part of what I want you to think about is, does it make sense for you to change your name? Does it make sense to add that middle initial or add that middle name? And and once you decide what that brand name should be, my encouragement, go ahead and go grab that, right? Go to godaddy.com and grab firstnamelastname.com. While you're there, by the way, get your kids' names, get your grandkids' names. That real estate's valuable today. It's only going to get more valuable in the future. But Matt, if you think about it, if you've got a general name and you're going out and doing the fun stuff, right? Doing interviews, giving speeches, being visible in the media, well, you've got a name people are searching for and they got to pack a lunch and go 14 pages deep on Google to find you. You're making it much more difficult to convert a referral. You're making it much more difficult for people to find you. And so I was going to ask you, is that something that you've thought a little bit about? You've got a pretty common name as well. Yeah. I'm sitting here Googling it as you say it as a, as a reminder of this. Like, yeah, there's a YouTuber named Matt Watson. And I think there's been a, a professional baseball player that has the same name as well. So, um, so I, I searched... I searched Matthew Watson, I, you know, still all sorts of the same stuff for them comes up. So it's funny you mentioned that because it's like owning your own name is its own branding problem. What do you think about, right, Michael B. Jordan, one of the most famous actors 
uh, in the world right now who's been in so many different movies. Well, he came out of the womb with the same name of the most famous basketball player in, in the history of the world, right? And, and so if he didn't have that middle initial, he's he's never going to have, quote unquote, real estate and, and, and discoverability around his name. And so part of what I would encourage you to think about as well is as you keep going forward, it's not that you can't be successful with the name you got. You're just going to make it easier on people, obviously, to be able to find you if we add whatever that middle initial might be for you. And by the way, for people that do make that decision, hey, I'm going to go ahead and go with that middle initial, make sure that you are really consistent about the way your brand name is used. So in other words, if we go with that middle initial, that's on LinkedIn, that's on your business card, that's how you're introduced on stage, that's your email signature. In other words, rather than scattering bricks on a bunch of different pieces of real estate with a bunch of different versions of your name, once we go with that brand name, let's put all those bricks on one piece of real estate. Yeah, and like and lucky for me, I'm I have the same name as some YouTuber who like, I don't know, went to prison or did some dumb shit. So, yeah. <laughs> It's tough. And it's amazing to me, Matt, how many people I'll, I'll talk to that have a really unique name. And again, they, they, you know, they share it with somebody that did something really bad yeah. or happened to be really. So as, as in the weeds, as this may sound to, to a lot of members of your audience, this is foundationally important to having a brand that your customers and partners can refer people to so that those referrals actually find you and take that next step. Well, I do want to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what developers are available to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So what other, what other kind of suggestions do you have for entrepreneurs out there that are thinking about, man, I just, I don't have time to write blog posts. I don't have time to be on LinkedIn. I don't have time to write books. I don't want to be a keynote speaker. I don't want to make dance videos for TikTok. Like what, what, what's, what other suggestions do you have for them? Yeah. Well, I, I think it comes back, you know, for, for me, Matt, to, are you creating an image that builds trust for your organization? So I would say for founders, if you don't want to do the content work, if you don't want to get crazy with, you know, visibility or interviews, et cetera, your brand still matters tremendously to your organization in terms of attracting talent, attracting customers, et cetera. And so step one is have a brand name that people can find, right? So have something that you're discoverable around. Step two, Matt, is okay, cool, right? I, I, I got a name that I actually found you around. I found your LinkedIn profile. I found your page on the website. The second question I want people to ask themselves is, what kind of image are you creating before you get in the room? Okay, so for most founders, if I were to Google their name, maybe I find a LinkedIn profile. I've got, a, you know, the header area with their corporate logo. I've got, you know, probably a headshot on their website and nothing negative about that image. Matt, it's just exactly the image that I would expect to find. In other words, it's an image of somebody trying to sell me something. Versus part of what I want founders to think about, leaders that are listening to this, is when I Google your name, am I perceiving you as an operator with something to sell or am I perceiving you as a mission-driven thought leader with something to teach? So what we often talk about, just to get you know, really specific around this, Matt, so the definition of branding 
for us is creating an image in the minds of your audience. Okay. And if you think about that today, creating an image in the minds of your audience, there are two really distinct phases to creating that image. So phase one is what we think of as pre-engagement, right? So phase one is before I hire your company is before I meet you in person, before I take that job at your company. And so the image you create in my mind in phase one uh, is not created as a result of your direct impact. It's created page one of Google, right? From there for lucky, it's then created on your website, LinkedIn profile, et cetera. And that initial image is either an image that's congruent with what I'm going to get once I raise my hand to do business with you, or once I buy that product or service, or it's an image that is either non-existent because I can't find you, even though I know your name, or if I can find you, you know, maybe it doesn't really give me anything to kind of differentiate you from the other options. So I want to come back to phase one. Phase two is post-engagement. Phase two is once I become a customer, once I join your team, once we work together. And the image you create in my mind in phase two is connected back to the answer to one really simple question is, did you over-deliver on whatever my expectations were as a customer, as a team member, or did you under-deliver? I'm going to assume most of your audience is over-delivering in phase two. Like a lot of leaders that I see, their heads down, focused entirely on over-delivering for their team, for their customers, et cetera. And by the way, obviously those are table stakes. You've got to do that really well. What I want to encourage for your team or for all of the listeners out there is to put themselves in the shoes of somebody that's been referred to their company. When they go to that LinkedIn profile, when they go to that page on the website, in phase one, you've got to keep in mind, there's no image in their mind yet for you, right? It's the very first time they're coming across you or your company. And so if you lead with a corporate logo they don't know yet, or if you lead with just a normal headshot, again, it's not, it's not negative. It just doesn't do anything to create an image of trust. So what we talk a lot about in the book is this idea of creating authority by association, which in phase one is the single most important principle that exists in terms of building trust with somebody that doesn't yet know you. So Matt, for example, if I get to a website and, you know, again, I don't know the, the company, but I can see, okay, wow, they've been featured in Forbes. They've gotten this best places to work award. I see a picture of the founder and he's up on stage and I've got a TEDx logo behind her. Well, what happens there is, all right, I don't know this company. I do have an image in my mind for Forbes or TEDx or the local newspaper, best places to work. And so what happens is that company's image is now along for the ride with the image in my mind for those brands, right? It's a trust accelerator. And so just pragmatically, and I'd love to see what questions you have about this, but for people that are listening to this, go to your LinkedIn profile, go to your corporate website and see, are you associating your brand with logos and brands that your target audience already knows, trusts, and respects. And if, if you aren't, you're missing a great opportunity to build trust before you get in the room. Well, and so, so I love the idea of having those, those brands or photos of you doing things like speaking on stage and all that stuff, right? That kind of puts you in the light of, of having some form of authority. But I'm, as my, I think my next question though is, when you when you talk about doing influencer marketing and stuff, do you see LinkedIn as being one of the the best places to do that, or where do you see that people should be investing a lot of their time to do this kind of authority influencer marketing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think for for most of your audience, LinkedIn is going to be the best place. Obviously, it depends on the audience that you're trying to reach for your company, but. 
LinkedIn for most founders, for most leaders is the very first place for you to be able to own search around your name if you don't have a personal brand website yet. And so it is going to be that first impression. And as you know, you know, LinkedIn's done a lot over the last few years to really make that profile more like your home base is a professional. Yeah. I mean, in a in large part, it looks like a website now, and a lot of people don't use it that way. And so I think as you think about LinkedIn, there's sort of two pieces to it in my mind. Number one is that static profile. So are you creating through that header image, the number of founders that I see in that header image that either have their corporate logo or they're giving me a sunset picture off the coast of California Again, cool picture. It's doing nothing to create trust with somebody that doesn't yet know you. So give me that stage shot. Give me give me a picture of you in a setting that connotes authority um, within the bio there. So again, LinkedIn allows you to do that full narrative bio. So founders, think about really mixing not just hey, here's my skill set, which is amazing. How much I still see that mix the the mission behind what you're doing, your why what you're really passionate about with that authority by association, give that audience a mix of, okay, wow, this is a person I can trust in this industry. And now I'm getting a really authentic mission driven message. And then LinkedIn, as you've seen uh, with, you know, the audience that you have built is really a great place now to build followers. It's not just connections now that are just people, you know, directly, you can build a massive audience on LinkedIn through their newsletter feature and, and, and other features. What have you seen from your side be, be kind of the most successful approach to your LinkedIn growth? Yeah, so I've used LinkedIn on and off for years. And about six months ago, I decided that I was really going to focus on it again. And so for the last six months, I have posted almost every single day and sometimes a couple times a day. And, you know, I think I've grown my following from about 15,000 followers to now about 24,000 followers over the last six months or so. And I, you know, I was doing it to help promote full scale, which is a, you know, a company I own. And I would say, I I don't post every day about full scale. I, I, I post maybe once a week or something like that. But then every other day I post about, you know, other random things. And, but I would say I get leads from LinkedIn probably every week, every time I post something, most of the time, not every time, but most of the time I will get a lead from somebody that has been following me for a while or or whatever. And I I think, so for us, for full scale, the way we sell our services is largely based on trust. Like there are a thousand other companies that do software development services like we do. And, but, but nobody buys any of them because they don't know any of them and they don't trust any of them. Right. And so trust is critical we know trust is critical for us to sell new accounts, and that's why we do the podcast. That's why we 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 do LinkedIn and content marketing and things like that because it helps us build trust and authority with people, so that when they're ready to buy, they think of us and and they have a little more trust in us, right? And I think the the big point I want to bring out to LinkedIn is you are trying to constantly market to people that are passively buying right? Like they're, they're not nice. Maybe they don't have a need today, but you want to build a relationship with them. And over time, you know, they, they like your content, they like what you have to say. And so passively they're there. So when the timing is right, that they will be a buyer and it may not be today. It could be months from now, but you're, you're planting a lot of seeds is the way I always look at it. Completely agree with you. And, and it's really in, in large part, you're extending your interaction with somebody from that initial meeting or from that initial connection point to the point 
two months, two years down the road where either they know somebody that needs what you do or, or maybe they yeah. are. Referrals too. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think the other piece of this to get to referral marketing for a second. So the, the pragmatic reality for most businesses is most of us grow by referrals. Yep. If, if we're doing things the right way. And that's not going to change, by the way, as you get more and more visible, what I find is one of the biggest areas of surprise for a lot of leaders that go down this road of building an authority advantage is the quickest impact that they see is it inspires the people that already know and love them to refer them more often because the brand is set up in a way that makes that person look good for having the connection. In other words, it validates the referral. So if you sort of think about it, if you've got a financial advisor that you know is just a fantastic financial advisor, they do a great job, uh, but you know when you give your buddy that referral and they go Google that financial advisor's name, if they're getting to kind of this mail it in sort of LinkedIn profile or you know, a, a bio page on an Edward Jones website. There's, there's nothing negative about that. It's just the, the most commoditized image that could exist. Instead, if Patty Brennan is an example that we use in the book, who uh, is one of the largest female-owned uh, financial advisory firms in the country, and, and often we'll encourage people to think about, all right, if you sold your business and you got referred to five different financial advisors, you're going to go kick the tires on each of those referrals four of the five people that you Google their name, you're going to get the suit and tie picture with all of the educational background. Again, nothing negative, but you're in the position of leverage there. You're interviewing that person. Go Google Patty Brennan's name. The first picture that comes up on her website is not the retired couple stock photo walking down the beach. It's Patty up on stage at the Forbes Women's Summit. And you've got that Forbes logo right behind her. You can see, okay, she's won awards from various uh, you know, large financial publications. Well, those you know, four of the five, I, I'm in the position of power. With Patty, oh, you need me to wait three months? I'm just feeling lucky to get in the room with her. And so that's part of what I want people to think about as they think about their personal brand is when you have a brand that builds trust and shows kind of you're that person with something to teach, you're going to find people much more excited to refer to you because it makes them look good for having that connection. Well, and I, I think the other thing that's hard about this when you put yourself out there and you try and be an influencer and have an authority is you have to accept that not everyone is going to like you, right? And but But the point is, you're trying to find the people that are raving fans of you, even though there may be some people that aren't, and that's okay because not everyone is going to like you. And I'm curious what what experience you've had with with that part of it. Yeah, without question. And there's certainly some industries or some some topic areas where it's going to be a lot more of that than than others. Uh, but I think Matt, that gets back to some of the imposter syndrome and some of the the head trash that a lot of people have around getting visible here, and and that's really where. From, from my experience, the thing that gives people permission to get over that initial reaction is focusing in on impact, focusing in on just yeah. giving value, no matter what, no, no matter if you ever get business from it, if you're just giving value through that video or through that newsletter, that's the thing that, in my experience, allows people to power through some negativity that may come through because you're going to hear from a lot more people that are saying, you know what, I did things completely differently or that that newsletter really helped me think differently about how I'm going to uh, approach 
you know, fatherhood or what, whatever it might be. And so um, that kind of stuff, I think, is, is really important for people. Well, I think it's, you know, to follow up to that, I think it's important that you have a thick skin too. And I, so I posted on TikTok like every day for like three or four months or something. And TikTok had so many people that just leave stupid comments. Like it's pretty insane. And you have to have a really thick skin and like not take the bait on debating with some of these people. Where on LinkedIn, you don't see that as much, but on certain different kinds of social media, especially like Reddit and things, like you're going to get trolls and and that's just what they are. And you can't take yeah. the bait. You have to have a thick skin. You have to have a thick skin. And, and I think that's a really good point. And, and what I find, Matt, for a lot of people is they work their way up to be able to handle that. So yeah. it's rare that I'm going to tell a leader to jump straight to Reddit or jump straight to TikTok even. And it's sort of warming your way up and getting getting a feel for it. The other thing I want to mention for a lot of the, the founders and leaders that are listening to this is oftentimes the best way to think about content marketing is not just a way for you to share your stuff. It's a way to really build bridges to relationships that either you want to nurture or that you want to build. So uh, one of my favorite examples of this, we talk about relationship driven content in the book. In other words, how can you use your content as an excuse to reach out to somebody that you want to build a relationship with. One of the fastest growing regional banks here in Austin, you walk in the door at their new bank branch downtown. It's all the stuff you'd expect to see from a modern bank branch. You turn to the right, there's a podcast studio visible in the bank branch. And the bank president is using that podcast studio as a way to facilitate relationship building, yeah. bringing in top customers. He's using it as an excuse to reach out to people and the interview, Matt, as you know, is not like, hey, look, tell me why our bank is the, it's not an endorsement. It, it's focusing in on the other person's story. But what happens with that podcast is every other bank's doing stuff exactly the same way. Let's go play golf. Let me take you out for drinks. I can't delete that email quickly enough in terms of a cold outreach. What they're doing is they're going out and saying, hey, I'd love to have you as a, as a guest on our banking on community podcast. And the, so that kind of mindset for founders and leaders that are thinking about this, which is always the magic question, Matt. All right, if I'm going to do this, what's the ROI of my time? Why is it a good use of my time? And if you can connect it back to two things that I would argue are best and highest use for a CEO and founder. Number one is building and accelerating trust in your organization. Number two is relationship building with existing clients and partners and potential clients and partners. If you do this the right way, those two things are happening. Yeah. And, and podcasts are amazing for that, right? You know, that's, that's how we use it. We use it to reach out to people that could be potential customers and, and have them on the show. And they're much more likely to respond. Um, especially if they're like, Hey, come talk about yourself for 45 minutes. Right. Most people are like, okay, sure. Um, versus a cold, you know, a cold outreach, you know, trying to sell them something they're, they're not going to respond to. So podcasts are a fantastic way to build relationships with people and outreach to people that you otherwise would never, never, um, never build relationships with. And I had somebody on the podcast, um, I'm not sure when it will air in relation to this one, but, uh, he was like a, I would call him, I wouldn't call him a famous YouTuber, but he's like, you know, a B level famous YouTuber. He's got like a million followers and it was super cool for me to reach out to him and he agreed yeah. to be on the podcast and, and do that. Otherwise, like, why would he talk to me? But it was super fascinating to uh, have him on the show. Um, so podcasts are a great way to build relationships. And I definitely agree. 
Well, especially if you think about that, just some of the industries you're, you're serving through your company. So plumbers, home builders, w- industries where everybody else is doing the same old stuff. If you're the one person that has that podcast in your city and is using it as a way to build peer-to-peer relationships with potential referral bases, with leaders in the community, there's such a different image that's getting created there. And the worst thing that happens if nobody ever downloads the podcast, the worst thing that happens is you build 10 relationships this year or yeah. 25 relationships this year. And so don't underestimate for listeners of this that are probably thinking, oh my gosh, there's so many podcasts out there right now. How am I ever going to build an audience? Well, well actually, the, the first way to think about this is not so much being stressed about how many downloads you're getting. It is how many peer-to-peer conversations are you facilitating that can then meaningfully move your business forward? Well, and that's the thing. You can easily get hung up on how many likes did you get and how many views did you get and all that stuff, which are sort of vanity metrics. And you have to remember that it really takes one person or two people or whatever that are customers that, that really matter. And so that that's the hard the hard part about it is like you want to post something on LinkedIn, you don't want it to go viral or whatever. But most people get a few hundred views on their LinkedIn post or if they're lucky, a few thousand. Uh, I had one that got 1.2 million recently which was mind blowing to me that that was absolute absurdity. And and I've had blog posts go viral on Reddit and Hacker News and stuff like that. But you can't reproduce that every week either. It's sort of magic when it happens. Um, But you have to just accept like, as you said earlier, it's like you're creating content that's valuable for other people and you just create it and you don't stress so much about how many likes you get and all that. Like you're trying to create better content. Like you take that as feedback to know, okay, did people like this or they don't like that? And maybe I go deeper into this topic or whatever, but you have to keep doing it. You, you can't mm-hmm. get disheartened by it. And and that's yeah. hard because we all do. We, all, we get disheartened by it. We look at the metrics and they are vanity metrics, but you got to push through it. For sure. Let's, let's talk about that for a second because this is one of the most common questions I get from, from leaders is, all right, I'm convinced. I'm ready to dive in. What do I talk about? How do I organize my content strategy? And so... The analogy I like to use for this, Matt, I, I want to encourage people to kind of think about their content strategy almost like it's their personal newspaper. All right. So whether we're talking LinkedIn or podcast or Reddit, all of it levels up. It's your personal newspaper. And the mistake I see a lot of people make, typically the tendency is to kind of fill that newspaper with op-eds or opinion pieces, meaning it's the rusty show again and again and again. Right. We've got two problems with that. Number one, you're going to get bored on it bored pretty quick if all you're serving up is your own stuff. Number two, if you're starting off with a small audience, we may not have enough people yet that know to pay attention to just your stuff. So it's a slow grind in terms of growth. So what I always encourage leaders to think about three categories of content, evenly split. Category one is what we call you-driven content, Y-O-U. So this is content that connects back to your intellectual property, your your advice for people, your guidance on whatever your topic area is. This category also includes your personal journey as a leader, lessons learned along the way. The more vulnerable, the more self-deprecating that you're willing to be, as you know, the, the better that category is going to perform. In my experience, Matt, most people are doing that first category at like 95% of what they're putting out. So I want to encourage people to limit that to one third. Category two is news-driven content. So news-driven content is either calendar-driven, meaning based on the time of year, for many of you, you kind of know what's front of mind for your audience, or it's 
what David Meerman Scott calls newsjacking. So taking what's in the broader news cycle, you know your audience is stressed about it, anxious about it, excited about it. I don't need you reporting the news, right? There's lots of people doing that, but I do want you to provide analysis for your audience on that news. Third category is what we talked about earlier, which is relationship-driven content. And tactically around that, people listening to this, my encouragement is to sit down and think about, okay, over the course of the next five years, who are the 50 most important relationships for the growth of my business, all right? And, And those might be potential customers, potential partners. For most people, when you create that list, roughly half of it are going to be people that already know and love you. They're existing relationships. They're in your network already. And the other half might be wish list target relationships. This is where you work backwards from that list. If you want to start a podcast, that's a great way to do it. A LinkedIn newsletter spotlight series is a great way to do that. Find ways to involve other people in your content in a way that starts with a win for them because you're really empowering them with a way to refer you in a way that they're winning as they do it. So that's what I've seen, Matt, just in terms of the right content mix that allows people to both get some immediate gratification around the relationship-driven side, but also start to teach as well. You know, I want to add to the news content thing because part of the problem we have in this world is there's an unlimited amount of information out there, right? And so what part of the value that you can provide as an influencer is curating that, you know, it's, you're an expert in the space, you follow a lot of the stuff. And, you know, some people will be interested just to hear your take on it, like, oh, what is your take on AI or whatever it is, and how it will impact our industry and whatever. But the other thing that you can help do is just curate all of that information. Like, I don't have time to go consume all of that. But I follow you because if there's something important to know, I know that you're going to tell us all about it. And that provides a lot of value to me. Like, I think that curation is also super valuable. I absolutely agree with you. Curating it and then providing maybe just a little bit of quick analysis around how you recommend that people react to that. Totally agree. Because otherwise, I, I, can't, I can't keep up with it. <laughs> oh, none of us can, right? There's so, so much out there. But I think the other piece of this, Matt, is we as the media consuming public increasingly are shifting attention away from large generic yeah. media, right? And we, we're, we're more interested in interacting with individuals yeah. that, are, that are more entertaining, but, but more trustworthy, right? And so that's the other piece of empowerment that I want leaders to, to sort of think about here is your target audience increasingly wants to push the media out of the way and learn directly from you. And, and in doing this, Number one, I promise you're going to have fun. Even if you don't feel like you're going to right now, I promise as you get into it, you will have fun. But number two, you are going to accelerate trust for your business in a way that meaningfully moves results forward. Awesome. Like, and a good example of this is for like the war and and Russia and all that stuff. I hardly ever read about any of it on major media, but there's like four people I follow on YouTube that I get that curate all of it to me. And you know, that that's the value of these kinds of influencers. And one of them was one of the ones that was on the, the, the podcast. Um, but it's like, they, they curate that, that for us and, and we're not getting it from mainstream media, which, which is a totally different change from 10 or 20 years ago. It is. It, it's, it's a remarkable change. And I think again, for entrepreneurs and founders, this is the way you can punch above your weight class in terms of visibility, it allows you to earn those impressions rather than having to pay for them. Absolutely. Well, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. 
We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with a fully vetted, highly experienced team of experts. At FullScale, we specialize in building a long-term team that only works for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Well, Rusty, thanks so much for being on the show today. This is definitely a topic that that I love. I mean, I, I guess I'm a LinkedIn tech entrepreneur influencer myself. I enjoy writing on LinkedIn and I have a blog and stuff. I really enjoy doing it myself. Yeah, you could tell. I mean, it, you, you've got a lot of great stuff there. And I think you, you can tell if people enjoy it versus they're going through the motions on it or somebody else is writing it for them, right? So if you can, if you can lean into it to the point that you enjoy it, you're going to get a lot further, a lot quicker. It's my hobby. Like I love to write and I, I think of weird stuff all day long and, you know, I jot down little notes or like, here's a, you know, post-it note of something today or whatever. And then I go and write about it later and and schedule it. I schedule this stuff too. Like I use tools and schedule Mm -hmm. it in advance. And the, the key is you just have to do it. You know, people are scared to do it. And one of my, you know, one of the best piece of advices I ever saw along those lines was like from Mr. Beast. It's like, Go make a hundred YouTube videos. Every one of them is going to suck. Just get a little better every time, and then you know, then look back after the hundredth video. But most people don't make it that far, right? They just don't exactly. make exactly right. And it, and most people don't even give themselves permission to even start. But if yeah. they do, they get so self conscious that they don't keep going. And so just power through. And that's again the impact side of this. The teaching side of it is is what I hope will be some fuel for for leaders to do that. So as we wrap up the show here, remind us again about your book and, and maybe how you could help people. Yeah, for sure. So um, listeners who are interested in getting, we're actually giving away free audio or digital copy of the book. If they go to theauthorityadvantagebook.com, they can uh, put in a little bit of information and get a free audio or digital copy of the book. Uh, books.forbes.com is a great place for people to go if they want to learn a little bit more about writing and publishing a book, and then zilkermedia.com, Z-I-L-K-E-R media.com is a great place to go if you're looking for an agency to help you actually do this. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rusty, for being on the show. Um, And your website address? Website address is uh, either rustyshelton.com or or zilkermedia.com. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Rusty. Matt, thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.